Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here's a double shot from our featured artist today, Scarlett Woods. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs.
wash my hands far from this fear in here because I Their show, wait till I throw. First, they'll see it like this, then they'll state it like that, and then I'll take their word, stack their meaning inside this stir. from her brand new release and we got scarlet on the line right now hey scarlet how are you i'm great richard how are you i'm doing well 
Now, um, this is the first time you've been on our show, and we always like to start things off by giving our fans this opportunity to kind of get to know who you are, not only as an artist, but as a person. So give us the story of Scarlet Woods. Mm. All right. Well, I'm going to start on the molecular level. Okay. Uh, I, <laughs> I, uh, I was born and raised in Brainerd, Minnesota. Um, but before that, so in my mother's womb, uh, when she was carrying me, she, we had um, this classic old wooden rocker chair in our home when we lived in a quiet little neighborhood in Brainerd. And she would always sit in this rocker chair and listen to music and rock back and forth for hours. Like, that's, that's what she did. And um, what happened when she gave birth to me, I came out and I seemed to have carried that rocking motion with me um, into who I am and into my life. And uh, I, di- I didn't know what it was. Uh, my parents didn't know what it was, and they didn't really mind having that. And I'm so glad that they didn't do anything about that. Uh, and, you know, I ended up seeing like a a 60-minute uh, episode on rockers when I was about 13 or 14 years old. And I'm like, oh, my God, there's other people like me in the world. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But it's basically, I mean, it's basically like a tick. It's, you know, uh, it's not an autistic thing. It's more like a nervous tick, you would say, but it's not nervous. It's more of a soothing thing. So still to this very day, uh, I rock and listen to music. (laughs) And I've probably put on so many miles on my ears that I've been to the moon and back probably five times. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, So I've been an avid music listener uh, since, since birth. Uh, when I was 11 years old, I saw a person uh, on television play guitar, and they were about my age. And I'm like, wow, I was just so inspired. And I asked my parents uh, if I could get a guitar, and they're like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, we'll, 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 you know, you'll get a guitar, but you're going to earn it. So uh, that's when I learned about uh, working and I was scrubbing the cabinets and cleaning drawers, and I did that for about a couple months until I had enough of my allowance saved up to purchase my first guitar at 11 years old. And from there, you know, I was I did the self-taught thing for several several years. And around maybe 14 years old, I started writing my own songs, and then I started composing. I got involved with choir in sixth grade, seventh grade, and by ninth grade, I was composing songs, uh, four-part harmony for the choir that I was in. And I continued doing that all the way into high school, and uh, I discovered uh, a composer by the name of Eric Whitaker, and he's, he's kind of a rock star in the choral community. If you ask anyone who sings choir music, they, they know the name Eric Whitaker. He's just very unique. He uses minor seconds in a way that 
I, I haven't heard anyone do. And it's just, he, he knows how to describe what he's trying to say through an organization of musical sound, sounds. It just, it blew my mind open. It blew my world of music open. Um, so I just, I really started to write my own stuff then. And um, choir, I was in choir in high school. And by the time I reached 18 years old, um, I, I didn't really like the town I was living in. I, I still don't like them. I, I moved back to Brainerd um, about a year ago now. And, um, but at about 19 or 20, I decided to just leave. I wanted to get out of town. I wanted to see the world. And in doing so, I also just kind of stopped playing music for about seven or eight years of my life and picked it back up again when I was living out in Ashland, Oregon, at the time, I was in Ashland for about six years. Uh, after biking across the country and um, being completely broke and not wanting to hop on the rat wheel of uh, this world of paying rent, I couldn't afford rent. I So I built a tiny house, and that tiny house actually allowed me to really start to pursue a career in music because it was just such a light footprint and there wasn't all this other stuff. Uh, I, it was parked on a property where I had a work trade agreement and I think they only charged me like a hundred bucks a month instead of, you know, the outrageous things that people pay to live on this planet. So I started to build my career in Ashland, Oregon. And I also met uh, an incredible, phenomenal uh, classical jazz guitarist, seven-string classical jazz guitarist, Bill Lenhart, who is the brother of Jay Lenhart, who is a bass player on the East Coast. I'm not sure if you know of him or not, um, but his that family is just just oozes music. Like they, they're so musically inclined, and and rightfully so. Like you know, they're brought up in a household where. You know, in, in an era as well where everyone had a piano in their home and that's what they did for entertainment, you know, versus um, the screen, which is what we use nowadays for entertainment. So I took these guitar lessons from Bill for a couple of years and he also turned me on to the seven string guitar, which is probably my second instrument in command behind my voice. And uh, yeah, I just, I just started continuing to write songs and play music. And I was in a band briefly playing a mandolin, which I do not know how to play. So I was faking it the whole time. And that didn't quite pan out. And I really wanted to have my voice in the world. I didn't want to play other people's songs. I don't, I, I really got burnt out playing covers and I wanted to write what I thought was beautiful music. So I embarked on that journey and have been riding that roller coaster ever since. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, so. let's talk a little bit about the new release that you're coming out with. Um, if you were to meet someone in the street and you say you had to give them that elevator pitch 
about what this is and what it's about, what would you tell them? It's about human connection. Okay. You know, I, I, I think in today's world, there's so many technologies that are actually pulling us away from each other, even though they say and claim that they are bringing each other together. You know, they use these words of community and social and, you know, all, all these words that are tied to actually being around humans. Um, close to you is literally actually being close to another human. And it was also inspired by a book I read by Atul Gawande called Being Mortal. And in one of these chapters, he talked about the importance of of being around other humans and the health that it the that it does for 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 you and the you know and for other people and the benefits that we get for our physical health and our mental health and our emotional health by actually being around other humans and touching them and talking to them uh so it was inspired you know by just being close to other humans especially coming out of the pandemic I think that was one of the big catalysts for driving that song is finally feeling again what it felt like to be around humans and in community and to laugh and to look another human in their eyes. Okay. Now, um, songwriting is a big part of who you are as an artist. And every every songwriter has their their process, their um, a way of tapping into their muse. What is your process? What do you do when you sit down to begin to write? Well, I'm usually not sitting, and I usually there is no starting point. Okay. It it usually just the song finds me somehow, and it's. Usually when I'm doing something active or when I'm waiting, like if I'm in a waiting room or if I'm in a line waiting somewhere and there's nothing else I can do but to wait, the song seems to find me. Okay. And this idea idea just starts to happen. And, you know, it always starts with an idea. And, and I think songwriters are constantly in their head all the time as well. And to me, I think having that space to let whatever comes in is where I find my songs the most. And and sometimes I'll just be learning some other song or working on how to move my fingers in this direction. And I would get so irritated. I just need to take a break from it. So I'll just start playing something else. And that something else just turns into the beginning of a song. <laughs> and it has like this, emotion behind it and it's like wow what what kind of a story is that you know so it's i don't know i feel like the songs the songs find me more than me reaching out for them now i always find that melody and lyric are two different functions of the brain you know they're kind of a left brain right brain thing where lyric is a craft it's very structured because you have to have a story continuity rhyme meter but melody's a little different um it's more form freely some songwriters like to use 
just to groove and allow that to kind of come out organically. Others can take a lyric and the cadence of the words can dictate where that melody should go. What's kind of your go-to when you start looking for your melodic ideas? They always are paired with the chord structure, it seems like. And I always start with the chords. It's very rarely rare do I start with a lyric. I always start with chords, and that's probably because I originally <laughs> I originally wanted to be a film score composer. And I've always been drawn to the music of film scores, especially, you know, like John Williams and James Horner, like, you know, the older film score composers that have, you know, brought life to our, to the screen. Um, so, and I feel like the chord structure tells such a deeper story. I mean, you don't really know what it's about, but gosh, you can feel what's happening. And I've always been attracted to that. So I always start with the chords because of that. And the melody kind of starts to creep in and find where it wants to fit in. And shortly after, or kind of maybe even with that happening, some of the words start to slip in too. And the words are coming from this emotional state of where, you know, of, of the chordal structure. Okay. Now, um, every artist has their toolkit. Uh, and technology today has really brought us some interesting tools. One of them is, of course, our cell phones that allow us to capture those momentary ideas. Home recording studios that allow us to create structure and then write to that structure. What are some of the tools that you have found to be indispensable to you as a writer? My cell phone is very important when it comes to to remembering. I think that's what I lean on the cell phone for is to remember what I'm doing cuz like when that when that moment comes and when when I have something that it's like you know that you feel it's like wow this is I got to keep this you know, but then again, it's like, like I feel those things happening, you know, but probably 95% of the stuff that's recorded on my phone is nonsense, <laughs> you know, and only maybe 5% of it is what I end up keeping. But I, I find the phone to be very important, and that's based on just helping my memory, you know, it's, and that's, you know, kind of might be a downside to my generation as well it's like you don't really find millennials that know how to remember things anymore because we rely on these on these phones right you know and like i don't know i just you know i hang out with older folks a lot and gosh they just know how to remember things and it's and it's because they use that part of their brain you know and, and we stop using that part of our brains now you know we rely on this I want to call it a tool. It is a tool, but it's it's so much more than that. It's it's the weapon too. <laughs> it's a lot of things. I have a lot of mixed feelings about technology. Okay. So, now, yeah. um, 
every songwriter has to get to a point in their writing process where they declare the song done in that phase because it always evolves. I mean, it evolves in the studio. It evolves when you take it on the road. So it never really stops the process. But you have to segment out this time and allow it to move to the next phase of its life, which is production, where you give it to the band, you give it to the producers, you allow them to kind of put their fingerprints on it. What is What do you do to determine that moment uh, in the song's life? Before it goes into production? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, before pr- uh, production, I always, always, always try to play a song at least 10 to 15 times in front of a live, breathing audience. And why I do that is because the song actually... How do I say this? The audience shows me things that help the song turn into uh, an even more better song. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, yeah, it makes it's, a lot it's, of sense. It's almost like, yeah, it's almost like performing it in front of people and, 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 you know, and having their reaction or, or lack of reaction or, or even just, I don't know, there's something about the song it's it's like a it's like having a creature. I swear to God, songs are like little creatures, and they continue to show you these things of how they want to evolve. And it's it's really entirely out of my control. So I always try to let it be what it wants to be at least ten or fifteen times in front of a live audience before I pack it down into you know a a recorded form forever (laughs) you know what i mean yeah it's like it's stage of being wild you know it gets to be free it just it gets to and there's always a really something beautiful that comes out of that and i'm like oh my god i would have never thought of before had i not brought it to an audience okay so that's yeah. Now, um, let's talk about getting into the studio, because having a good song, that's half the battle. Of course, you now have to create its identity, its sound. Uh, when you get into that environment, what is your process that allows you to capture the sound you're looking for? Uh, well, I would say that I am still very, very much in the learning stage of that process. Um, my, I haven't really spent much time in the studio. I, I haven't released much music in my career. You know, one, uh, it's the studio is like this whole other creature of technology, which requires so much attention and learning. There's a learning curve to recording a song and trying to capture that song. For one, for two, the price, the cost of recording a song has also kept me from doing that as well. Uh, my first project was an EP I put out in 2017, which is no longer in existence because <laughs> I wouldn't subject anyone to listen to that project ever. 
Even though the song, I love two of the songs that I put on it. Two of the other songs are just like, uh, you know, uh, no, I'm not really. A, I mean, I don't know. I'm my worst critic. Um, so that was my first um, experience of studio, and and it was in some my friend's house. Uh, who had all this equipment and he showed me how to turn on the computer and he showed me use this knob and use this knob and then don't touch anything else. I'm like, okay, I can do this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that was my first experience. My second second experience was the album that I released. uh, I'm right here. And that because of that first experience, it taught me that I am never going to do this myself. I'm always going to hire someone to push these buttons and turn the knobs because I, I just, I can't do it all. And, and probably that's probably one of the smartest things I realized with the recording process is like, that that is not my job to record me. My job is to write songs and it's someone else's job to try to capture who I am. Okay. That being said, that being said, so the, the album was basically live tracked because I, I play out a lot, and and I and I tr- I was trying to capture how I sound live, which, as I learned from that experience, I still don't know how to do that. Um, but the first the album was live tracked mainly, and uh, and it was the first time those songs were played with other musicians, so I had to basically hold my ground while these other sounds were happening <laughs> which is because i i'm a solo act i always play solo um someday i would love to have a band but you know that's another conversation so and it was recorded in about three days you know and then we did some we did some other little uh tracks on top of that to kind of fill in some little ambient sounds and some other little like a guitar lick on, you know, I'm right here. Like I overdubbed some of those little touches in the song, but it was basically that, that was it. And then currently my, my new release um, has just been a game changer. Uh, I'm working with Kevin Bow, who is, uh, he's in Minneapolis. He's a producer. He's also a phenomenal songwriter. And he's, he's, I, I adore him. He's a smart ass too. And I just, I just, I, I feel so comfortable. I feel so comfortable with him. You know, he's like 61 years old and we just like throw stuff back and forth at each other. And it's, it's, I feel like he just understands what sound I'm trying to get at as well. And I never had those conversations with the recording engineer and pr- producer that I worked with prior the project prior to this one so this is okay now yeah. uh, once you get this all recorded you got to create a team to kind of get it out there to press you got to get it to radio and you're working with uh krista Valenkis and her new pr company uh elephants and flowers uh media tell me a little bit about that relationship um I adore her. <laughs> I really adore her. Um, she's like one of these folks where I just, 
want to sit down and have a glass of wine with and talk to her for two or three hours about the music industry. She, she has been nothing but an open book for me. And I've had so many questions about this industry and, and so many things that I still to this day don't know anything about. And she has been nothing but supportive and open about everything. Like not only is she, you know, helping me, as a publicist, but she's, you know, she's encouraging me, you know, she's like, try this or try that, you know, you know, she just gives me these other ideas. And, and it's just, it's so great because, you know, she works with these other artists as well. And she sees how they're doing, you know, what works for them. And she's, I don't know. She's, it, it's, it's almost like, I think she's rare too. Like I, um, she's very rare. I don't think many publicists, or maybe they are. I don't know. Maybe they are. <laughs> maybe <laughs> publicists are just like these golden little angels. And, and you know, but the one I, I hired someone out in, when I was living in California for five years. Um, and I paid an amount of money that it, uh, I thought was going to help. And it was to, to help promote this album. And I just, I didn't see anything happen from that. So I, I've been very suspicious and very cautious of who I choose to surround myself with and who I choose to who uh, to hire uh, to you know help me in my career. And it's just been such a godsend to have Krista in my life. I, I feel very fortunate and lucky to have randomly found her <laughs> at a conference. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. Let's talk a little bit about um, the music industry. Uh, you know the the elephant in the room here. You know the pun. You know the, for uh, for Krista here uh, is the fact that the consumer today is really uh, embraced streaming as a way to consume music. The problem is is that recorded music now no longer has value as a product. It's now a service. People expect it free. They don't expect to pay for their music anymore. It's a completely different dichotomy than we're used to if you've been in the industry for a long time. You know, I grew up mm -hmm. in the days of vinyl, you know, and I rebought my music in, in cassette, then I rebought it in CDs, then I rebought it in downloads. And now I have access to pretty much everything that's been recorded in the last 200 years at the tip of my finger. But how has this shift in perception by the consumer affected you as an artist? Well, music is going to continue to evolve. And as a consumer, yeah, I stream everything that I listen to. I I still buy CDs, but I buy them because I know it supports the artist. I actually don't listen to CDs. I will buy their CD and maybe use it as a coaster <laughs> to, to set my coffee mug on or something. But I know that it's still important. And, and, you know, and yeah, some people still do listen, listen to CDs, but it is so convenient to stream everything. Well, the downside. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, what, 
Well, I was going to say one of the issues. I think there's a lot of issues. Oh, my God. We, this is a rabbit hole, Richard. Do you yes, really want to go down this? Oh, God. Okay. Um, how we approach music is different. You know, we don't actually sit down and really listen to a song. We put songs on in the background as we're doing other activities. And I think that as a consumer, and I'm, I'm one that does that as well. I have a playlist for working out. I have a playlist for when I want to relax. I want, and all of these playlists are fitted to the mood that I want to experience. Okay. I think one of the issues, I think one of the issues, another issue is it's money. It's always money, you know, and I don't think these platforms are interested in the artist anymore. I think they're interested in and they're focused on creating a mood because that's what's driving these platforms anyways because that's kind of how consumers experience music now. Who sits down and listens to a 15-minute song? One of my favorite songs ever written is George Gershwin and it's Rhapsody in Blues, like who actually sits down and listens to something that beautiful? No one. We, it, we just don't approach music like that anymore, which is sad, you know, but I, you know, it, it also plays into Twitter. Like who sits down and reads a really good article? No one. Not, not, I mean, yeah, there are people that still do it, but it's just not in style anymore. We'd rather go to Twitter and read a three to four sentence snippet on what someone thinks about this or that, and then judge, have our own opinions on the matter, you know? And it's, so I think, and the music industry is following the same pursuit, you know, what they do. We're going down this rabbit hole, Richard. That's okay. Okay. What? I think what is happening is they know it's mood driven. Um, and what Spotify has done is in, and I don't know other streaming platforms, but I know that Spotify, if you, if your sound does not fit into their genre, it will not get put on that genre's playlist. And when you don't get put on a playlist in Spotify, you don't make money off of Spotify. You don't make money off of anything. This is the issue with streaming. Another thing that Spotify does, if your song is not catchy and the first 20 seconds, it gets passed on. To, it just gets passed. They call it a click rate. What is your click rate? If you don't have a good click, I've heard Chris Thiele complain about the click rate because the Punch Brothers music builds. You, you listen to a Punch Brothers song and most of the songs are not catchy in the first 20 seconds. You know, the songs that they create are elaborate stories. It's very classical-based, condensed into a four or five minute, which is just mind-blowing to me how they can do that. But because they don't have a click rate, I mean, some, uh, some of the most incredible bands and acts in this world, I think, are getting left behind because of these streaming platforms and their algorithm 
that they're placing on the artist. It's it's actually destroying the artist. Okay. You know, and you listen to today's and you listen to today's music, it all sounds the same. Yeah, like it it's it's so familiar to me. I I just I don't hear anything different. You know, you listen to the music in the sixties and seventies, very different. Very, like every band has their own little niche, you know, and it's and I think it's because we, they didn't have these technologies where they're bouncing all these same ideas off each other, you know, or or they're you know like trend like TikTok. TikTok has this thing where it, you know, where there's a certain trend that picks up and other people start doing this trend and it becomes very popular and that's how you can get these follows on TikTok and it's like it takes away the individual and now you're just a product following what other products are doing because your goal in life is to make money, not be an artist. Right. You know, I, th I think there's just so many issues with these streaming platforms. <coughs> and, and I agree with you hundred um, percent. I mean, people are listening to music differently today. I mean, they're, they are very mood driven. They are creating playlists that are basically a soundtrack for an activity mm -hmm. or a mood. Uh, you know, and CDs, let's face it, once the hardware disappears, the software is not far behind. So then the new cars aren't coming with CD players in it. Um, you can't go to Best Buy and find the CDs player section. You know what I mean? You can't even find CDs mm -hmm. in Best Buy anymore. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. that technology is dying. So we need to look at what is the future for the music industry, for especially the independent artists, that allows us to change that dynamic. What's happening on the streaming platforms today is not a sustainable business model for the music industry. I mean, that is just outright, you know, blatantly in our face. You know, the, the man who owns Spotify is it has more money than any of the artists that are on his platform. Um, and that's just insane. There's no reason for that. So there is technology now that is coming down the pike or actually that is here, but is working itself into the, into the industry where we're going to a, a more decentralized music industry where um, there aren't so many middlemen. Uh, one of the biggest issues with the music industry is that there are too many middlemen in the industry. Uh, there was an article Agreed. in Billboard that stated that of all the billions of dollars that are generated through the music industry, only 12% gets to the artists themselves. And that's oh, a gosh. disgusting, you know, uh, statistic. So mm -hmm. now let's look at what could be done in this industry. Well, number one, there are new streaming platforms that are that have been developed, like Audius, uh, Emanate, uh, Audio Locks, uh, that are streaming platforms that are based on the blockchain and this new AI Web3 technology. And what they're doing is, is that no one company can own these streaming services. It's really... Uh, collaboration between the artist and the fans. They own these streaming services through, you know, purchasing their cryptocurrency that exists within this little world. 
And that gives you a certain amount of shares in that industry, in that streaming platform. And they're claiming that they can pay artists up to 80% of the incoming revenue back to the artists themselves. Because there is no aggregator. There is no uh, company that is profiting off this. It's really just a bunch of network nodes that people run to keep this network going through the blockchain. Um, what do you think of that as a potential future of streaming? <clears throat> well, I think that that would have to be like drawn out. I don't quite understand that. That There's a lot of pieces that you mentioned um, that I, I, I have no idea what you're talking about, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I... I kind of, I kind of see it. it's kind of like a co-op. Is it kind of like a co-op? Would you yeah, say? Yeah, almost a co-op. Uh, give you an example. Um, Nas, the rap artist, um, he went to this site called Royal.io. He created what they call non-fungible tokens. Now, here's this is kind of an offshoot of this technology, where um, he created these non-fungible tokens, which represented. 0.15% of his streaming royalties, and he made enough to cover one half of the royalties on two songs. He sold them to his fan base, and he was able to generate almost $600,000 in upfront income. And then he now has almost 3,000 fans that have an economic interest in making sure that his music is being streamed. So basically, he's almost selling stock in his songs, so to speak, where mm. the dividends are the streaming royalties, and people would get this these, this money coming to them through the fact that they own these NFTs. And on top of that, as these NFTs are bought and sold like stocks are in the major markets, he gets a percentage of that sale price in perpetuity forever. So it's a constant flow of income as they're being bought and sold on the market. What do you think of that as possibly a, a way to, a, you know, get your fans invested into you as an artist? Ah. <sighs> You lost me at FTIs, or the FTI, FTOs. NFTs, yes. Non NFTs, there we yeah, go. Yeah. Non-fungible tokens. Basically, it's an electronic uh, stock certificate. Like, Let's call it that way. Like, it's like Bitcoin or something, yeah. yeah um, oh, my of. gosh. But it's it, it, the way they're, they're structuring this is that they're taking the crypto world out of the equation and making mm -hmm. it something in the back end. The front end is all dollars and cents and, you know, people are, are paying and getting paid in dollars and cents. So the whole cryptocurrency thing is in the back door. It's not visible. It's not up front. It's kind of the engine that runs everything, but it's all being converted to normal monetary systems that people can, mm -hmm. you know... Uh, kind of you know wrap their heads around you know what i mean yeah well yeah i i think i kind of know what you mean but and and i think i think I, honestly i'd have to probably sit down with someone and really just 
have them explain what you explained to me as if I was a six-year-old child. Okay. And then, and then also, I mean, have my really good math, mathematician friend in the room with me and also explain to me whether it is feasible for me in my career right now to, to pursue or to do that, or is it more, because I, I think there's also something that happens, you know, you mentioned this rapper and stuff and, and, um, and we call it the music industry, but I, I like to call it the money industry because the trick to money is having money. Mm-hmm. And there are so many artists that do not have resources or money to do anything with, you know, and they rely on these gigs at the bar that pay them a hundred bucks or even less. And, you know, and, and like that is where just so, so many so many artists are, you know, and yeah, granted you start to kind of climb up if you start your, if your act is good. Yeah. You'll start to get a following, but I don't know. I think based on like where you are in the industry, you know, financially is kind of what is feasible. Cause you know, if you do get up high enough, then yeah, Spotify is a feasible service, you know, to make money off of. But, you know, if you're under a thigh, I think Krista even told me, I mean, there's some uh, publications that will not even talk to the artist if they have less than a thousand followers on it. And it's like, wow, you know, it, I, I, I don't know, you know, to me, it's, I, I think someday I hope to find a really good friend who knows how to do all this stuff because the bottom line is I, I just don't. I just want to write music and perform beautiful music in front of audiences. Okay. Well, fair enough. You know, and then, and then, yeah, I would love to make a living at it, you know, and not be scraping, you know, for, you know, to survive in this world. It's, you know, but on the flip side, it's, I mean, musicians two, 300 years ago didn't really make a, a living either. I mean, music being played, Two three hundred years ago was only for the kings and queens and the people with money, mm-hmm. you know, and that's you know kind of where folk music came from too. You know, it's, it's a very simplified version of telling stories, and you know, and and you know that started to gain traction and stuff. But you know, so I just I don't know if the streaming is going to be the one and all with how we experience music. Maybe it won't even be that in the future. Maybe it'll just be live performance because we're going to crave humans so much because we're going to be so divided with our screens that, you know, going out to a live performance is going to be like church. (laughs) You know, it's like maybe that's the direction it'll go in, but I, you know, okay. I don't, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, It's been a real pleasure talking with you and, we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your new release. You guys are going to love this. You know what? Turn up loud. Screw the neighbors. We're going to have some fun. Dressed and 
plenty You grabbed what was yours And I kept what was left for mine We certainly gave it all our best try Although some knots just seemed to come untied Keep up with this world I won't ask how I could have changed it You know, changing it might have made it harder For us to see Let us just sink and settle into winter Some crisp, clean air, warm fires and calm cups of tea
that starboard pool I'm browser in your glass Oh, I'll have what he's having mm. Cheers to us and our nights of traveling Can't wait till you notice me Now that you're halfway through Squeeze in. 
artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Shout now, honey. Gonna 